Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 3? We've come to verse 16. This is the continuing dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. It is the section where Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about salvation. It continues in what is probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Jesus continues speaking to Nicodemus. For thus God loved the cosmos. When I study the original text, I must distinguish between the, 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 the planet Earth and the cosmos, the creation of orderly things, things that are ordered in orderliness. Well, that would be the universe, everything created, the realm of the angels, God's heaven, everything that's created is the cosmos. Now let's look at this carefully. For thus, maybe your Bible says, for God so loved. It's a, it's a distinctive, it's a particle, it's a distinctive in the text that says, for God so in this way Loved the cosmos. Sin has utterly ruined everything in creation. Everything. I can take the handful of verses that are found in the scriptures about the fall of the fallen angels. And the story that I get is that the adversary, Lucifer, that, that's something that comes from the Latin. That's not in the Hebrew. So we'll call him Lucifer if you want to. But I don't know what his name is really other than Abaddon, Apollyon, the liar, Satan, dragon. We learn in Ezekiel uh, 28 he was the captain of the cherubim. The cherubim are a very powerful and special order of angelic creatures. They're the ones with all the eyes and all the, they have the four faces. There are four of them left, but one of them has fallen. Their chief, their captain fell. He was so glorious in his beauty in the reflection of the light of God because of the enswathement that God provided for him, he thought he was special. The Hebrew text in Ezekiel describes his covering, his cloak, his robe. It was fixed with every precious stone and where those stones were set in the crossing of what you and I would think of as stitching, but it wasn't like stitching. 
The open places where those stones were set were musical instruments. They were wind instruments. Now remember, the wind of God, of course, is the Holy Spirit. The appearance of God is light itself, glory. And in the presence of God, the powerful presence of God would pass upon and through the robe of the anointed cherub. And he would sound like the most glorious orchestra you have ever heard to the praise and glory of his creator. And the only one who could outshine him was none other than God the Son. It was the glory of God the Son that produced the glory of the robe of the anointed cherub. Perfect in wisdom and beauty, the Bible says he was created so. Extremely intelligent. Beauty beyond compare. Then sin was found in him. He led a third of the angels. They rebelled, and there are those in Isaiah, what, 12, there, or 14, there, there are those five I wills. I will, I will, and then finally he says, I will be like El Elyon. I will be like the Most High. I'm going to take that mountain that God lives on, and I'm going to become God. Well, that didn't work out well for him. And so he fell, and a third of them fell with him. We learn later that they joined in this rebellion because they refused to accept the domain in which God had created them. In other words, they had a special work. The anointed cherub had a special work. But they rebelled. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. I'm going to do something else and I'm going to make it better. And so this was their rebellion. Here's the point. Sin reaches across the universe. That's how powerful sin is. It has spoiled everything. It is so spoiled that it's just burning out. It's running out. And it is so spoiled that in the judgment, in the final judgment of all things from the great white throne itself, Everything in the created order with regard to the universe disappears from the presence of the Christ enthroned, seated upon that great white throne, the final judgment, the judgment of the wicked dead. So when that final judgment comes, then in the final judgment, all of the first order is just destroyed. Peter says the elements melt with fervent heat. There is left there the great white throne. And of course, the redeemed who are seated with Christ. And he passes final judgment upon the wicked dead and the fallen angels. They're cast into the lake of fire. The sin 
of the created order now must have a price that is paid and it is the destruction of all things except for the redeemed. For God in this way loved the cosmos, the order of things. Remember what it said when God rested? He said, all things are good. And then there was sin. But God is motivated and moved to salvation and deliverance before he is moved to destruction and ruin. For thus God loved the cosmos. And you and I are part of that. That he gave the only one of a kind son. That Greek word up there, monogene. Mono means single, one, alone, one. And gene means, genes is, is like uh, the, a kind. It's the only one of a kind, monogenes. The father gave the only one of a kind son. There is no other savior. Now this is appointed from before the foundation of the world. For the believer, for those who are redeemed, for those who live in the light, there's no debate here. Anyone who disagrees with that is in the darkness. So, for God so loved. You see, we learned in John 1 that the agent of creation is God the Son. Remember him? Logos, the word. And that all things through him came into existence and apart from him nothing was made that has been made. John chapter 1. And then he became flesh, John 1 verse 14. So he is not only under the Father, the creator of things, he's also the consummator of things. He's the judge. And in the consummation, in his wrath, in his final wrath, he'll destroy the universe, the cosmos, but not yet. So here is sin, fallen angels, the sin of man, a depraved race created to glorify God. Has God been defeated? Oh no. God will take care of things. What motivates him to do so? It's not his wrath. He's not motivated by wrath yet. He's motivated by love. For thus God loved the cosmos, the order of things, that he gave, that's grace, that's grace. He didn't have to, but he did. He gave the only one of a kind son. There's only one savior. There's only one who could have saved us. God himself given the magnanimity 
of sin. The horrific spoilage of this beautiful thing that God had made. The order of things. None could ever be so powerful to restore what must be restored so that God will still be glorified. God will not lose, of course. For thus God loved the cosmos that he gave the only one of a kind son. No one else would do, nothing else would do, not an angel. Who was it? The strong angel came forth in heaven in the revelation with the scroll on which were written the terms of redemption. On one side of the title deed of everything was how it was lost. And on the other side, how it is redeemed, how it is regained. And the question was asked, who can open this scroll and break these seals? The only one of a kind son. He's the only one. He's teaching Nicodemus. Who thinks that everybody has the power to save himself through behavior, following codes and man-made traditions and so forth. He gave the only one of a kind son so that everyone believing in him should not utterly perish. But should have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the cosmos that he might judge the cosmos. Oh no, not yet. That's the next time he comes. But that the cosmos might be saved or delivered through him. Who is the only savior? Who is the only deliverer of the whole created order of things that now is under sin? Who? Under the penalty of sin. Who? Only the Son of God. It's through Him that everything that is wrong about the cosmos, including my heart, my soul, and everything else can be delivered only through God the Son, the one who made it. Will remake it. He takes it to himself to do so. Now, everyone believing in him, I speak a lot about sovereign grace and the work of God in our salvation. But in his sovereign purpose, he has so woven the work of his own that we bear a responsibility before God to proclaim this good news and in this God delivers his word as he sees fit according to his plan to those whom he would save Paul wrote to Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and Paul said I endure all things I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they might be saved. 
On the other side of sovereign grace is the expression of human faith, which in itself is a gift. But we're looking, we can't look at the heart, but we can seek out the whosoever wills because the whosoever wills are only willing if God makes it so. So whosoever will may come. Everyone. Now what is the distinction? Believing in him, the only one of a kind son. Everyone. It doesn't have anything to do with all of this stuff that the Pharisees were requiring people to do. It doesn't have anything to do with the phylacteries and the, and the tassels that hung on their robes and, and the way that they tried to look distinct from everyone else and appear to be holier than everyone. has nothing to do with human works. It has to do with believing in the only one-of-a-kind Son. He's the only Savior. Now those who believe should have eternal life. That's a, that's a thing that God will see to. So from my perspective, what is my ticket? My ticket is to behold the Son of God and have faith in Him. When I do that, what happens? Well, what has happened to me? Well, Built into that is the fact that I have to evaluate myself and decide and conclude that I'm unworthy, that there's nothing in me that can save myself. I'm lost without a savior. If I don't come to that conclusion, I'm never, I'm never going to look upon him. I'm never gonna believe in him. I'm just gonna keep believing in myself. This is the prejudgment of the fallen race of man, dead in trespass and sin, thinking that we can save ourselves. That at, the, that at the end of God's cosmic rule in our lives, the great scale of justice will tilt in one way or the other, and surely there are more good things than bad things, and God will have to save us. Well, that's, that's, that's the condemned way for fallen man to think. But there is no hope for us. The whole cosmos is, there's not even hope for Pluto. <laughs> or whatever. There's no hope for anything. Christ is the only hope. So then Nicodemus, God gave his only one of a kind son so that everyone believing in him, everyone, now that really chapped the top Jew, Nicodemus. Everyone? Gentile dogs? Samaritans? Are you telling me? Yes. Christ is the Savior. There is no other way. You consider Christ, look upon him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. The call of God draws you. And things just happen in a supernatural kind of way and thoughts are changed spirits are changed 
And people are raised like that from deadness to life spiritually. They are born anew from above because God saw fit to send his spirit and save that person. And that person is saved on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And that brings eternal life. Remember, when this whole thing started, Christ went right to the point of the matter and he said, if you're not born anew from above, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. That's not even a question Nicodemus was asking, but it was what was on his heart. He knew in his heart he was the top teacher in Israel. Nobody had obeyed the law more than him from a human perspective. No one could claim human righteousness above him. And yet still that guy felt like he was falling short. And indeed he was. Christ is teaching him the error of his way and the true way of salvation. Nicodemus, relax. The Father hasn't sent the Son yet to judge you, along with the whole cosmos. The Father has sent the only one of a kind Son so that this great message could be preached and people could hear that the only way to be saved is to believe in the Son of God and then have eternal life. People say, man, that's cheap. It ain't cheap, it's free. You don't pay a thing for it. God paid a very heavy price. The Father sending His Son. It's very simple to the one who comes to faith. Extremely complicated to the one who works it out for us. It began before the foundation of the world and works its way all the way through human history and then finally in the consummation, the glorification comes. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. Eternal life robed upon in resurrection. So, God is moved, he's motivated by love, not wrath, not judgment, not yet, not yet. The one believing on him is not judged. You hear that? Paul starts out that great eighth chapter of Romans. There is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation on those who are in Christ Jesus. Those, this is, this is right from Christ teaching Nicodemus about salvation and you and me. The one believing on the Son of God is not judged. That's in a tense. It's in, a, in the Greek text. It is stated so that it'll never happen. You will never be judged. The one believing on him is not judged. I am free from judgment in Christ. Christ for three hours 
took upon himself the wrath of God that would be poured out upon all of those who will believe. And so somebody asks the question, three hours, for all of the people who are ever going to believe, three hours. Let me tell you something. The Son of God is an infinite person. He is an eternal, infinite person. It's quite a punishment for an infinite person to take upon himself for three hours punishment. Seems like he could have done it in a second or two seconds or three seconds. He took it completely and absolutely and included in those three hours of suffering upon the Son of God were my sins, everything. Some I haven't even thought of yet. But I'm in Christ. I believe in him. I don't practice evil, but I stumble into it from time to time, and so do you. But I believe in him. I have faith in Christ. I know he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died vicariously. For me, he was in the grave three days. He was raised up from the dead. He has ascended into heaven where he intercedes for me, and he's coming again, and he's coming again for me soon. I believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, I am not judged. I'm not under judgment. I can be ashamed from time to time in this life. Of course. It is the redeemed person who hates his sin the most. I can be ashamed and humiliated. I can hate my sin. But I have been covered in the righteousness of Christ and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now there's good news about Nicodemus. It's not going to happen in this section, but later on, Nicodemus gets saved. It takes a while for all this to sink into him. The, believe, the one believing on him is not judged, but listen, but the one not believing has already been judged. It is the, you see, I've talked to you about how I've preached in crowds before where I knew there were a lot of lost people and some of them, really a, a small number, a small percentage would come to Christ. Now, What was the difference? You know, same message, same gospel, same text. It's the will of God, and that's all I can say. That's all I know. That's all I know. But I can tell you this. Everybody who never believes in Christ has already been judged. You're here without Christ. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here without Christ. You're already under judgment. Only the grace of God can divinely intervene in your life. 
And if you walk away from that and don't care anything about it, all I can say is you're just a reprobate. That's all I can say. I can't help you. An angel from, from heaven cannot help you. If God doesn't call you to be saved. And I'll tell you something else about the human race that maybe God might see fit someday to explain. But according to Christ, most of the people who ever live will die lost. It's a, it's a broad gate that leads to destruction. And most of them go through that gate. It's a narrow gate that leads to life. So if you're as an unbeliever and you walk away as an unbeliever and you despise the gospel, you're not alone. God help you. You're already judged. There's already a judgment on planet earth. There's already a judgment that's been passed on the universe. There's already a judgment that's been passed on the fallen angels. And all of the reprobate and unsaved who will ever live. Already a judgment. But I was rescued from that. I would say, you know the word, so, so, the word salvation means to be rescued. That's what it means. To be delivered, to be rescued. I was rescued. I don't know why he chose to rescue me. But I'm not going to question it, man. I'm going to bask in it. And I'm going to thank him for it and worship him because of it. The one not believing has already been judged for one thing. Because he has not believed in the name of the only one of a kind son of God. That is the unpardonable sin. Unbelief. You will never ever be forgiven. If you die in unbelief. That is a sin that will never be pardoned. Matthew chapter 12, Christ speaks of the unpardonable sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. People saw a miracle from Christ's hands. And those who would not believe said, this is of the devil. Those who walk away from Christ consider Christ evil to them, unacceptable to them. And Christ says to such a mindset, you will never be forgiven. Never. You will never find salvation in unbelief. Never. It's not there. You can't, you can't work yourself into heaven. There's nothing you can do. Only Christ can save us. Now this is the judgment. That the light has come into the cosmos. Now let's bring it down to the world of Nicodemus. And men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their works were evil. For everyone practicing, and you could also as, as well translate the word observing. Those practicing evil... Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his works may not be exposed. However, the one practicing the truth comes to the light that his works might be manifest and that those works have been done in God, that God did it. God gets the glory, not me, God. 
I want to say something based on this that is applicable to the very moment in which we live, the very nation where we live, the very suburb, even this very church. We are suffering under evil leaders. They're in darkness. You understand me? They're passing laws to protect their darkness. They're passing laws to protect their reprobation. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to come to the light. Darkness is intolerant of the light. Evil people cannot tolerate truth. They cannot. They cannot tolerate the Bible. They cannot tolerate God. They cannot tolerate the Son of God. They cannot tolerate the true church. They cannot tolerate the gospel of Jesus Christ. They cannot. They must hate it. They do not want to be exposed as evil. I think not since the, since the founding of this nation have we ever observed on such a scale darkness overwhelming everything. But I would hasten to say that this is good news for you and me. We haven't stumbled into being born into this generation. God has placed us here as harbingers of light in a dark world. There's no other hope for the world falling into darkness but the light of the gospel of Christ and the absolute truth of Scripture. We live in such an age that I would say thank God in heaven. The age of hypocrisy in the church is coming to an end. It's disintegrating and here's why. You can't straddle the fence anymore. You can't put one foot in darkness and one foot in light. You can't do it. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. You either stand on the side of light and absolute truth or you reject it and you are in darkness. There's no middle ground here. God is placing a separation within Christendom itself so that there is a clear focus in the lives of those who claim to be in the church as to whether or not they're in the darkness or in the light. One or the other. This is the greatest time, in my view, in the history of this nation at least, where parents can really teach their children. We don't have to worry about hypocrites anymore. We can let them learn what they teach in some other place and they can bring that to us and we can give to them the light of the truth of God's word.
And there is such clarity. There is such distinction between light and darkness. And this is where we live. This is where we are in history. We may be on the very threshold of the rapture of the church. The church is the only thing that restrains absolute total evil from overwhelming the world. But all bets are off when the church is taken away. The restrainer, the one who restrains and he who restrains. The work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The true church. And we should thus be so prepared to reject anyone who claims to be a part of the church and will not accept absolute truth. I have no use for them. I don't want any shade of darkness around me. Not in these last days, especially. This is what the scripture says. Obey the scripture. Be obedient to the blessed, holy, precious, eternal word of God. Be true to the word of God and the God of the word will be true to you. I'm not happy with the way things are, but I know what Hosea said. The northern kingdom of Israel was falling into the same trap that our nation is falling into today. And here's what God said. You see, we're a nation under judgment. I have no doubt about that. No doubt at all. Too many things happening all at the same time that are the very definition of judgment in the Bible. And this is what God said to Hosea. In my wrath, I sent you kings. And in my anger, I took them away. <laughs> in other words, You've fallen so far in your sin. God says, I'm going to give you the worst possible leadership. And I've done it because I'm angry. That's what God says. So the revival of all things begin in the house of God. That we clarify our understanding as to where we stand in this world today. We're going to stand with light or with darkness. You cannot have one speck of darkness. We must stand in the light. God has placed us today here in this nation, in this time, in this generation to stand on the truth regardless of what it may cost us. And it probably in the end will cost us. The world hates us. They have ways of getting at us. But it's okay. God is all powerful. We can say with a quiet smile and a calm spirit. We have come as the people of God, the children of God, we've come to do one thing and that is to reconcile men to God. Only God can work that in your life, but we've come to reconcile men to God. Someone may ask you someday, what do you do? You may ask me, it's my job to reconcile men to God. That's it. So then, this is where we stand.
and we can live at peace with ourselves knowing that regardless of what happens, it is the will of God. Thus we stand in this light. Now this is the judgment that the light has come into the cosmos and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their works were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Don't want to be exposed as evil. The light does not, uh, hates the light and does not come to the light so that his works may not be exposed. However, the one practicing the truth comes to the light that his works may be manifest that have been done in God. It's the work of God through us and in us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. According to his word, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on him to save you. We have this promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. then God is bound by his word to save you. He wouldn't draw you to himself if he didn't know that was already what was in your heart. If you're here without Christ, I plead with you not to leave that way. If you feel the Lord calling you into his salvation today in just a moment when we stand up, you are invited to step out and come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I want to be saved. And if you don't want to do it here, we have deacons and their wives in rooms just across the hall as you exit. You can step into the room and they'll pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're already a believer. And God has laid it upon your heart. To the best that I can do, I want to be placed in a fellowship who seeks to stand in the light and in no whit will stand in darkness. And you'd like to come a become a member of this church. You're invited to do so. You can do so by coming forward in just a moment as we stand. Or if you prefer, as you exit, again, deacons and wives, you can step into the room and they'll pray with you and tell you everything you need to know about church membership here. Father God in heaven, Lord, we have absolutely no power unless you gave it to us and give it to us. I'll tell you, I'm thankful for that because I can know your presence. Now bless this invitation as you see fit and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?